All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, here we are for episode nine of season three of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. My name is Andrew Drozdak, and I am your co-host. I am joined again this week. He just got back from his week-long bender down in Florida with our good buddy, Sunbelt Billy. How's it going, Bo, and you feeling okay? Man, I thought I was going to come back rest and refresh, but Sunbelt Billy, that dude, um, he, he likes to cut loose a little bit on the weekend, and uh, and and we just ran it through the whole week. Uh, so I need a vacation after my vacation, but I, I am glad to be back here and talking some ball with you. Absolutely. We're glad to have you back. And Thomas, I know you listened last week, but for anybody who didn't listen, we've got a new partnership with Better Edge. Better Edge is the premier no-fee social betting marketplace. Better Edge allows users to create their own prices and lines for sports betting positions in 45 states. Most importantly, that includes South Carolina. Those lines and prices are often better than you can find anywhere else. Use the code AVERAGE at sign up to get $20 in your wallet when you verify your account. Just for listening to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast, visit betteredge.com slash average to get started today. That's B-E-T-T-O-R-E-D-G-E dot com slash average thomas they really do have some great prices and lines on that site i hope our listeners are taking advantage of the opportunity to uh get a little extra cash in their wallet if they want to throw some money on on games yeah certainly I, i've uh, i haven't fully delved into it but i've been poking around a little bit on the site and uh, I, I like it i like it i'm looking forward to, to digging into it a little deeper absolutely all right thomas you're going to lead us off here talk a little carolina kentucky reaction all right. Well, you know, this is, uh, you know, it's it's been a while. It, it has been a while since we have been able to sit here and talk about a Gamecock victory over the Wildcats that have been such a thorn in our side for, for such a while here, so, such a long time. And full disclosure, you know this, but but as, as I will tell our listeners here, so I was in a little bit of a unique situation last, last weekend with this game. Um, I, I was at... Uh, at a wedding, and we we won't get into uh, the the merits of, of of scheduling a wedding during football season. It certainly wasn't my wedding. I had nothing to do with it, but um, was at a wedding. And um, but I guess the good thing was I was actually sick on the day of the wedding. So instead of instead of being on the dance floor and dropping some double dutch and and an electric slide, I was able to pretty much anchor in and, and sit on my phone and and had to watch that game on, on a, on a five inch screen. So you probably had a better vantage point than I did. Um, but looking at it, watching that game and, and listening to last week's podcast, and you did a phenomenal job running it solo. really appreciate you picking up my slack there, but you, you nailed it on, on multiple points talking about that game, how South Carolina needed to attack the edges. They needed to have some counter punches for Kentucky needed to get pressure with five or fewer, and that was a lot of that game plan, and I think really kind of propelled South Carolina to victory in that game. Offensively, did a great job of attacking the perimeter. I, I think 
when you game plan against Kentucky and in South Carolina, the coaching staff knows this a, a hell of a lot better than we do, but they're vulnerable on the perimeter. Um, South Carolina did a good job offensively having an identity in the run game. We've, we've harped on that and, and, and hammered Satterfield for that. But they had a good identity to run the game, stuck to that bread and butter that we talked about in weeks past, the counter, inside zone, outside zone, duo. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd had another great game. He is He's just really coming into top form here. Um, and you and I were talking about it the other day, but uh, R- Lloyd runs like he is pissed off, and, and I like it. He just runs with that fire like he just wants to run through a brick wall, and I love having that in a running back. Um, I did hear a stat the other day. Uh, this is my fault for not verifying this, but it, it's so good. I don't even want to verify it because I don't want to know if it's false. But allegedly, 100 of Marshawn Lloyd's 110 rushing yards came after contact. That is insane. That is a running back that is fighting for every inch he can get and is going to get that extra yard. He's going to fall forward. Uh, we talked about it before about – some of his patience and how he is he is good at finding those holes and fighting through them. Uh, Marcus Lattimore was really good at that. I'm certainly not comparing him to him, uh, but just great game out of him. Um, coming out of that game, I also think there's really not a whole ton of debate here, but Juice Wells is probably our best wide receiver, no question. He needs to be targeted more. He is an elite receiver, has speed, has hands. He's a smart route runner. Um Switching to the other side of the ball, uh, Kentucky's offensive coordinator might be a uh, he's a moron. Uh, I don't know if he is <laughs> on if, if he is on a Marcus Satterfield moronic level, but I felt and I feel like every Gamecock fan that had watched any of of the games in this series the last few years, particularly with all SEC running back Chris Rodriguez back in this game, that we were going to see a heavy dose of Wildcat with Chris Rodriguez taking snaps in the backfield. I think I still have PTSD from watching Kentucky running backs just crush us with the Wildcat. I don't think I saw a single play of that. Did you? No, definitely didn't see any Wildcat. Definitely did not. So I think that was a head scratcher. If I was a Kentucky fan, I'd be a little upset about that. Um and Kentucky's look, we know Kentucky's offensive line is a little subpar, but Clayton White did a fantastic job of game planning to take advantage of that. You know, had a had a young quarterback back there uh, with Will Levis being out, green guy. I don't I don't think he had thrown a single pass in a game. Uh, and to his credit, Clayton White took advantage of that. Really got after Sharon. Six sacks in the game. Look, we've talked before about how sacks really aren't the measuring stick, but you still like to see them. You still enjoy seeing the defensive line get after them. Um, huge props to the defensive line for showing out. Eight tackles for loss. Um, some of the some of the, the dudes of the week, as I like to call them, Taka Hemingway. That guy played. Monster. Phenomenally. I mean, that to, to blow up that first play from scrimmage, that weird double reverse type thing, again, Kentucky's offensive coordinator, what the hell are you thinking with that? Just just run the ball. I mean, this is the first play from scrimmage. That was some Chad Mars stuff right there. <laughs> uh, talk to Hemingway. Sherrod Green, great to see him have a good game. I think he was second in tackles on there. Jordan Birch, that guy, we've been waiting to see something out of him. He had a great day. Gilbert Edmond. 
Uh, tremendous halftime adjustments also by the defense. Uh, I think we've always agreed that Clayton White is, is usually pretty good at making halftime adjustments. But going back to Chris, Chris Rodriguez, that all-SEC running back, <clears throat> 97 rush yards in the first half. Second half, 29. You can't ask for better adjustments from, uh, from your defense on that. But really just – Honestly, and, and, and we'll get into it a little bit more here later, uh, you know, it wasn't perfect. It was by no means perfect, but it was good to see South Carolina go on the road, beat a team that has had their number for so long, conference win. You know, this is a great win for the Beamer era, and I'm excited to see how they can capitalize on this moving forward. I totally agree with you. Uh, the one thing, you know, that's, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head with with all the things you said there. I will point out that uh, if I'm looking at my reactions, I'll start on offense. And I'm just going to be negative to start off, and I apologize for that. But still not good enough. Still not nope. good enough. If you take away uh, Tonka Hemingway making a huge play in the first play of the game, uh, getting that ball down to the two-yard line, we're, we're 17 points scored there. Uh, also, coming away with zero points after the black blocked punt is just poor coaching. Uh, unacceptable. Um, you know, just really poor there. Really, really poor there. Uh, the second half was better. It was more creative. Um, there were bigger, play, better plays called. There was more motion. There were things that were done, and that's fine and good, but I, I still – just not good enough. Just not good enough. Um, and nothing about what I saw on Saturday night changes my feeling about what needs to happen at offensive coordinator. Um, I, you know, Matt Rule was recently fired by the Carolina Panthers. And when he has been in college, he has always had Marcus Satterfield with him on staff. Please, please take him. Please, please <laughs> take him with you. Um, we yes. don't need him. We don't want him. It's just not don't it. want him. We don't need him. Um, so anyway, just – I will say and echo what you said. Mark uh, Marshawn Lloyd is a beast. Like this, just straight up beast mode. You know, like he, like you said. I don't know if the hundred yards after contact is accurate or if that's an exaggeration from somebody online. But doggone it, it felt like it on his forty-five or fifty-yard run. He was hit twelve two yards deep in the backfield and and mm -hmm. took it the rest of the way. I mean, he's just you talk about how he, he's he's angry. Um, but like running angry, I think he's angry and tired of not having space to move. And he's like, you know yeah. what? Screw it. I'm going to lower my shoulder and run through some people if I have to, to get there. And that's, that's how he's looking. Um, and so I'm really, really impressed, uh, with, with how, what he has done the past few games, juice Wells and Jalen Brooks showed some great speed, great, great speed. Um, big plays there, Josh Van. Got in the action, uh, got some key third down catches, Thomas, that I thought were great. I think he had a nice little punt return in there as well. So I'm just happy to see that guy still getting some action, still doing some things for us. Um, but it, like you said, it's obvious Juice is our number one guy right now and that Jalen Brooks is obviously our number two. And so I, I was very happy with that. Switching to the defense. Great job getting turnovers again. You know, I understand and, I, you know, I'll get down – uh, talk about this more later. I'm tired of the, well, we didn't have Will Levis. I don't care. It's football. Nah. Guys get yep. hurt. Um, you know, we started four different quarterbacks last season, one of which was a GA. The other one has transferred out and, and is not playing right now at 
Virginia Tech. That's nothing against him. I like Jason Brown. He's a great kid. But we weren't. We didn't have a first round quarterback out there, and you know we didn't have a consistent quarterback out there. The guy we had prepped all spring and summer to be our starting quarterback broke his foot in the first you know contact practice and was out all year basically. And when he was in there, he wasn't himself. So I don't want to hear that nonsense. This is football. It's not tiddlywinks. Guys get knocked out all the time unless you're in the NFL, where if you breathe on a quarterback, you get a roughing the passer. <laughs> penalty was just Tom a whole Brady. Other, which is a whole nother can of worms but speaking of the nfl and backup quarterbacks i'll point out thomas and i'm gonna be a homer here for a second back in 2017 when the eagles won the super bowl carson wentz went down in the second to last week of the regular season and he was having an mvp like season every eagles fan including me went crap there goes that our backups nick folds now he is a <laughs> god in, in Philly because he led us all the way to the Super Bowl. So I don't want to hear it. Have better backups. Have better backups. Great job on the defense getting turnovers. Like you said, Tonka is that dude. He's got this Eric Norwood type ability here lately to make Ooh. big plays when we need it to happen. Not just a great player and a good player, but you know when we need a game-changing moment, it seems right now that Tonka's the dude doing that, and that reminds me so much of Eric Norwood. He had the, that ability to step up when we needed him most. Like you said, Birch, you know, hopefully this is his coming out. Hoping this is his awakening, and we're going to see what we had hoped to see from him for so long, and, and I really hope so. The pressure we got on the quarterback was phenomenal. I agree with you that you know it's somewhat of um, – you know, somewhat of a, a, a subject, suspect offensive line and a backup quarterback, blah, 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 blah. But it happened, and I'm happy with it. Overall, dude, this was Beamer ball. This was Frank Beamer at Virginia Tech at its best. Defense getting turnovers was, you know, back then Bud Foster doing that, um, you know, and special teams stealing stealing plays and stealing points from the other team and making a short field. That was it at its, at its finest. I don't know what Pete Limbo makes, but I want him to get a raise um, immediately. Maybe just give him Marcus Satterfield's salary. Like I, I, I don't know um, <laughs> because he's helping him out tremendously. Um, I already mentioned my thoughts on Kentucky. So, uh, you know, Kentucky fans whining about a backup quarterback, Thomas, so let's switch. We don't have a game this week for South Carolina because they're on a bye week. Let's talk halfway. We are at the six-game mark of this season. What are your takes on where we are as a football team and kind of the trajectory of this season and this program as we're at the halfway point of this year? Yeah, it's really interesting because I was thinking about this. <clears throat> excuse me. I was thinking about this today when I was going through the notes. All right, so we're sitting at uh, four and two, right? All right, so... If you would have told me, uh, or, or let me back up, I, I would say preseason, you know, I probably said through six weeks of the season, we'll likely be four and two. Um, never expected to beat Georgia preseason or going into that game. Never expected to beat Arkansas either. So based on that, you would say, well, this is about where we should be. But it's not. It's not where I think we should be yet. Record-wise, if you're looking at the record, yeah, this is where I thought we would be. But I thought we would have a whole lot more productivity. I thought we would see a whole lot more out of Rattler. I thought we would see a whole lot better play out of the offensive line. I'll get into that in a minute about the offensive line, which we have of late. But my point is, is the my preseason expectations of four and two at this point are, are were not where we are in reality. It's not what we're seeing on the field. And so we've got some good and some bad. 
let's start with the good here. <clears throat> Secondary depth. Preseason, I think I said that was one of my biggest concerns on defense was the depth in the secondary. Outside of Cam Smith, you know, we had a lot of unknowns back there. But we've had guys like DQ Smith, Nick Emanwari, a freshman who came out of Irmo out of nowhere and has just been playing lights out and is going to be a fantastic player and is, is a great player for us now. So secondary depth has been way better than I thought, and it continues to develop every week. Injuries continue to mount but we continue to build depth. That's a good thing. Development of defensive line depth as well. I mean, this this defense has been hammered with injuries. Some of the bigger key players, when you talk about Mo Kaba and Jordan Strawn and those guys from uh, all in the, in, the, in the front seven there. But the development of that depth behind those guys, when you're talking about guys like Gilbert Edmond, you're talking about people like Taka Hemingway, who... Uh, it feels like Tonka Hemingway has been here for nine years, but is really coming into his own as well. Um, Sherrod Green has stepped in, has played well. So all of that to say that coming into the season, defensive line, I didn't have a whole lot of concern about. Injury started mountain. I did have a lot of concern about, but the depth is developing very well back there. Marshawn Lloyd, we're finally starting to see what he has been built up to be or, or what we wanted and expected him to be. Uh, he is he is playing great, uh, notwithstanding the, the offensive line, whether they're playing well or not playing so well. He, You give him the ball, he's going to get you some yards. Now, the not so good. The not so good. Let's start with Spencer Rattler. Came in with a lot of hype. Everybody was excited to get him. We're talking about a former preseason Heisman candidate. Um all the talent in the world, a lot of experience, uh, played for Lincoln Riley, all, all, all of those things, all of the intangibles, we're excited about that. He has not lived up to what I thought and wanted him to be. Now, I have some seen some improvement lately, but through the first half of the season, he is not where I expected him to be. So that's not so good. Also, the not so good, Marcus Satterfield. We said at the beginning of the season that there were no more excuses. He had everything in place. He had his quarterback, experienced veteran offensive line, no more excuses. Well, here he is crapping down his leg just about every week. He still makes some, even in the wins, great win against Kentucky. He's still crapping down his legs. Sometimes he makes some boneheaded play calls. Uh, a lot of times, even when he runs the ball, He's running it exactly when the defense knows he's going to run it, and we run it right into the teeth of the defense. So that is also not so good. And finally, on the not-so-good offensive line. Again, some improvement lately. But the offensive line, with this much experience, this much size, and just just everything that they had going for them and all of the snaps that they played, I thought, you thought, I think most people thought – that we were going to be able to come in, line up, and just mash people, push them back. That's what we should have been doing and haven't seen that. Now, lately, I have seen a lot of improvement out of the offensive line. I have seen cleaner pockets. Now, earlier in the season when those pockets started getting cleaner, Rattler was still seeing ghosts, was still bailing too soon. But now even Rattler is starting to step up into that pocket more. They're giving him pockets, and he's taking what they're giving him. So that's my good and my not-so-good but 
looking forward, there's still a lot left for this team. There's a lot of winnable games left on this schedule. There's a couple games, quite a few games that I think are not so winnable, but this season can still end up with a really, really good record. It could also end up in, you know, pretty much 500 territory there, but got to get at least bowl eligible. I think that's, that is more than attainable. Anything, you know, short of that is going to be a massive disappointment, but I'm really curious. I'm really curious to see where you are at this point at the halfway point, particularly with the offense, if you could start with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we've said it a lot. We've said it a lot that the offense has just not been good enough. You talked about it when we talked about, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year when we had J.C. Sherbert on, we were doing a preview show. I talked about Spencer Radler, you know, breaking the record for for most yards passing in a season at Carolina. And and then we talked about how, 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 you know, we felt very comfortable that he'd throw 30 touchdown passes this season. Well, as of now, he'd have to throw 25 touchdown passes over the next six games. Now, let me tell you, if he does that, I'm going to be thrilled because that's about four and a half a game, and I'm totally <laughs> cool with that so you know like that's great but I, I right now we haven't seen that happen the other thing is the offensive play calling has been just quite honestly confusing and and a lack of creativity a lack of uh, of just in-game adjustments and knowing what to do thomas have you ever seen the movie multiplicity I have. It has been a while. Okay, so for anyone who hasn't, this was a uh, 1996 release starring Michael Keaton. The basic plot, by the way, this movie would not be made today. A lot of issues in this movie, so nobody try to try to can't nobody try to cancel me for this. But essentially, at the at the heart of it is. The main character, Michael Keaton, is a, uh, a contractor and a dad, and he doesn't have enough time during the day. He clones himself once to try and uh, get more done. He realizes, hey, I need a second clone, does that. So now there's three of them, still can't get everything done. The two clones make a copy of themselves, and that copy comes out a little weird. And the joke is the, t- the copy of a copy is never as sharp as the original. So you might be wondering, where in the heck am I going with that? <laughs> what I'm going with that is our offense is a copy of a copy. This is supposed to be his version of the loss of the Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. Los Angeles Rams, which is a version of Kyle Shanahan's offense in San Francisco, Kyle Shanahan and uh, Sean McVay kind of developed this offense while they were working together in Washington underneath Kyle Shanahan's dad. And it's based a lot around what the Cowboy, excuse me, the uh, the Broncos were doing in the 90s under Mike Shanahan and Alex Gibbs, which is an outside zone to one side and a play action bootleg to the other side. We aren't doing that. If that's what we're trying to do, if that's what our idea is, if that's what we're trying to create with the defense, we're not doing that. We're playing in the shotgun. So another way you can try and do that, which is what the Rams did a lot more of, which is that second copy, if you will, they are trying, they try to use it as an RPO. So they're going to have you come across at an outside zone coming to the right, let's say, with the quarterback looking at the left side linebacker to see if he if he flows to make a running back stop so that you can throw the slant behind him, or if he sits, you give the ball. All that's well and good, but none of it has been working well for South Carolina. I will say we have found a way to establish that instead of the outside zone being that that primary outside attack, which it's still being used, that primary outside attack being the out uh, is the counter, the counter play. And I want to talk about uh, is it Tracy Atkins? No, that's the country music singer. What's uh, <laughs> what's at, what's Atkins' son's name? That's number forty four. 
Oh man, I knew you were about to ask me that. Little, little uh, Atkins, uh, he's yeah. he's he's not little. He's big, great great edge blocker, and we've started bringing him in the tight end position and having him be that second pulling guy. You can run the counter where it's the guard and the tackle from the backside pulling to the play side to kick guys out, or you can do it as the guard and the tight and the tight end, or the tackle and the tight end, or you can just do the tight end. We've started to use that tight end on that more, and we've started using Atkinson's more Atkins more in that role as opposed to Stogner or Bell. And I think he's a much better blocker in that role. Okay, sorry, my co my other co-host is my little girl, and she's <laughs> making some requests. Um, so my point being, we found something that we can use to establish that outside attack, and now we should be moving the pocket. We're not. We're still sitting Spencer in the in the middle, making him make full field reads, which I don't think is or is his strength. We need to at least be moving the pocket to the opposite side where we are traditionally running that outside run and giving him half field reads. I do like using our speed at the edge, but again, I said this last week. You saw it with Kentucky. They started coming up to try and stop that short pass. We still were throwing it. Now, Juice Wells, Juice Wells and um Brooks have been able to, in that game, make some plays. And then we had some creativity in the backfield. Thomas, all offenses are designed to confuse the defense. And when you look at it, there is not enough defenders on the field to cover everywhere on the field. Uh, it's, it's, this game is built for offenses to succeed. That's just the truth of the matter. And to do that, you got to confuse the defense. You made, it, you made a great point. Not only are the plays not great, but when we're running them, it's so predictable. We're running into the teeth of the of the other team's defense. It's ridiculous. The wide receivers are as good as advertised. The offensive line has been a little bit shaky, and you pointed that out. I didn't expect us to mash everybody. I certainly expect us to look com uh, being comparable, being competent on the line, and until recently, we have not looked that way. And so that has been somewhat troublesome. The, the, the running back room has been fantastic. The tight end room has been an issue. The, we're not sure what we want to do with Bell. We don't know how to use him. Um, it's, it's been a just real frustrating thing to watch, honestly. Um, I do think he is a somewhat positionalist player in the fact, I don't mean that in a bad sense, in the fact that he's not your traditional size tight end, but he's not your traditional size wide receiver, but he is a great athlete. And so you have to find ways to be creative. We heard all about he was going to de be Debo Samuel 2.0. And the thing about that, if you watch the 49ers right now, they are still being super creative with Debo, but they're doing it differently than they did it last year. Do you know why? Yeah. Because all the defense is adjusted to it. So you can't go out there and do the exact same thing and expect to get the exact same results. Defensive coordinators were smarter than that. So that has been my biggest frustration. And, you know, I've read somewhere or heard somewhere that, you know, Marcus Satterfield did not get a contract extension at the end of last year, which means his contract runs out at the end of this year. And, that, you know, there wouldn't be a buyout. There wouldn't be anything like that. To me, you got to let that thing expire. I, listen, everybody who goes to coach football, everybody who does any job, Thomas, you, me, anybody, we want to do the best we can. Right now, he's not doing a job that enough, good enough to stay. And that's just the truth of the matter. And I think it's going to have to make a change. Getting to our defense. Defensive line has been a mixed bag. Tonka Hemingway has has kind of come out and, and made some plays when we need him to, and that's been fantastic. You mentioned Jordan Birch and all the things he's done of the past couple games that were different than ever before, where he's made some more plays. That's been great. 
the 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 quarterback spot was strong. The safeties were a concern, but at the same time, Thomas DQ Smith and I just call him Nick E because I can't say his last name. Um, <laughs> have really, really stepped up and have really looked like strong players, particularly Nick, and will be an impact in this offense and in the, in defense in general. He's got the the potential to develop into an NFL player. Linebacker speed is still a concern. Here's the thing about the program, Thomas. We could have easily, and in the past there were times under previous coaches and previous regimes we would have, we could have easily rolled over and died after that UGA game. Getting smoked at home, Sell out crowd, all those things. You got smoked. You got absolutely boat raced. Didn't look like you deserved to be on the same field as them. But then you've come back. And again, you had two get right games. In the past, we could have won those games 24 17, 31 10, and not shown things and not built confidence. But this year we did. And I think that says a lot about the culture of this program, not just climate. Mark Stoops, the culture of this program. There it is. Well so done. that says a whole lot about where we are. And yes, the fun stuff happens too, Mark. Football can be fun. We can throw on some sunglasses and some Soldier Boy in the locker room. Saul Soldier Boy retweeted um, the video the other day. Need to get him to Willie B for a game. Um, I also saw somebody suggesting giving the students at least sunglasses for uh, the game and playing that. Obviously, Sandstorm's going to be our our, our main get, but maybe we've always looked for that song right before fourth quarter to get everybody fired up. Let's throw that bad boy on. Have everybody throw on sunglasses. Throw their cell phones up in the air with their clock, with their flashlights on, and let's get the place rocking. Get the lights going. Those new LED lights doing some things. The culture's A&M good. game. A and M. A and M game. Do it. Let's do it. Culture is good. Recruiting is great. There has to be a change at offensive coordinator. I think there needs to be a change at OL coach. And I'm not saying that because I don't like that coach. He has. I don't know what's happening there, and I'm not making light of it. Obviously, he's got some health concerns, and and I love this game. You love this game, but at the same time, you got to take care of yourself. And there seems to be something going on, and I'm I'm, I'm genuinely worried about him as a person because football isn't exactly stress free to be a college football coach. So if he's <laughs> having stress issues, or, or excuse me, not stress issues. I don't know that that's the case. If he's having health issues, he may need to step away. And and so I, I think those two changes have to be made. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on with that, and 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 I wanted to be clear also that that anything I said earlier about good offensive performance and the things that I liked that I saw out of the offense, I am in no way, shape, or form advocating for keeping Marcus Satterfield. Marcus Satterfield needs to be taken out with the trash. He needs to never come back, and we need to get a new offensive coordinator. And at the same time, I also worry that. If you also, if you keep Marcus Adderfield around, I don't know how you keep this recruiting class intact. This recruiting class is shaping up to be a very good recruiting class, and I don't know how you can sell this offense to recruits. So, yeah, Marcus Adderfield's got to go. Offensive line, we need a changing of the guard there too, but just just some fresh meat there. I'm, I'm with you completely. I, I, I can't disagree with anything you just said. All right, so let's switch gears to Clemson, Florida State. They will be playing uh, – it it's a night game, isn't it? Yep, 
seven 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 thirty on ABC. I'm sure, and it That's is right. in, at Florida State. Clemson offense, man. They, you know, as we sit here and talk about the Carolina offense not doing what we want it to do. If you're a Clemson fan right now, you've got to kind of be sitting back with your your hands folded behind your head, smiling, going, "Okay, that's the offense I wanted to see." And, and it's not the super explosiveness that it's been in the past, but it's definitely good. And you know, there has been good plays. DJU and they have they have settled in that he is a dual threat guy. Sometimes you have guys that are dual threat guys, Thomas, that want to be pocket passers. But I can tell you that with DJU, he doesn't need to get so focused on that. The NFL has changed. At the end of the day, these guys want to play in the NFL. That's why they want to show they can play in an NFL offense. But what that means, what NFL offense means right now, is completely different than what it was even five years ago. You look at Josh Allen. You look at Jalen Hurts in Philly. You look at Lamar um, Jackson in Baltimore. Those are dual-threat guys. And he's big enough and athletic enough to play that role so I think they've finally convinced him, hey, man, it's okay to use your legs. Go use them when you can. If you're a, a Clemson football fan, the only thing you had to really kind of be concerned about was that uh, Will Shipley did not have a great game. I don't know if he got injured. Full disclosure on this game, Thomas, this was the same time, uh, the BC game that is, this was the same time as the South Carolina game. Didn't watch a whole lot of it. But from looking at the final stats, he had 10 carries for 33 yards. That's not oh, as wow. That's not a super impressive stat line. I don't know if he got dinged up or something, but DJ, you looked strong through two, three touchdown passes. Did get sacked twice, but still looked really good going into this game against Florida State. This this offense is doing what these fans uh, at Clemson have got to have wanted them to do. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think you're right, and DJ has started to uh, to really come into his own. Um, I'm going to hit on that a, a little bit. You want me to go with uh, Florida State defense here? Yeah, Florida State. Where, where defense. are we going next? Go All Florida right, State that'll defense. work. That'll work. Yep, good, yep, yep. good. Because I've got, I've got a little. We're going to get into the rabbit hole a little bit here. We're going to get into a little scheme. We're going to get in a little X's Ooh, and O's here. I see a lot of slant names here. I am super excited for this. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I like this defense. I, I really do. Um, <clears throat> Florida State's defense. Uh, they they get pretty creative. They like to operate out of out of what I like to call a cover four shell look, and 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 what you're looking at here is two cornerbacks, two two high safeties. So a lot of times it can look like a traditional cover two where you just got two high safeties, not a cover four. It's going to look like that a lot. <clears throat> but what they'll do is they often like to roll a safety down into the box at the snap. Now they're not going to do that pre-snap. So it makes it more difficult for quarterbacks to know if, if he's going against a cover two, cover three, cover four. So they'll do that at the snap, roll it down into the box for run support. I could definitely see Florida State doing some of that to, to combat that run game, whether it's DJU, Will Shipley, or whoever else they've got back there. Um, I do think you're going to see a lot of inside pressure in this game. Uh if, if you notice the last couple of weeks, some of the games that DJU has looked the most comfortable in are the games that he's not getting a lot of heat on him. He's 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 comfortable with his offensive line. He's comfortable with his with his protection. So I think you could see a lot of double mug looks from Florida State. When we talk about double mug looks. Double mug is double linebacker pressure up the A-gaps. You've got two linebackers stepping up before the snap right on top of the center like they're going to blitz right on either side of the center. 
they could be coming. They could be bailing at the snap. But what it does is it puts that center in conflict. He's got to figure out, all right, who am I taking? Who's going to pick up the other guy? It, it, it puts the quarterback in conflict because he's got to know, all right, is somebody going to pick this guy up? Where am I going with it? Where's my quick out? Where's my check down here? So you're going to see some double mug looks to keep DJU uncomfortable. They're going to try to keep him off balance the whole time. Um, Florida State's really got to have better gap integrity this week. NC State last week, which that, that game, oh, man, I would be uh, livid if I was Florida State, but that's that's another episode. NC State was hitting wide open gaps in the run game. So they've got to have better gap integrity this week or Shipley's going to break off some of those big runs. Stunts and slants, stunts and slants. Clipson's offensive line – uh, is still struggling some with stunts and slants. They struggle. They seem to struggle with passing off defenders and communicating. Um, so I think Florida State is going to try to take advantage of that. Again, all of this is going back to the main game plan here, which is keep DJU uncomfortable. Uh, so they've got to pressure him early and often not let him get into a rhythm. Um Florida State, this defense is also a big fan of uh, what a lot of people call a Texas stunt. So a Texas stunt, again, this is still this is still a slant or a stunt, uh, but specifically with the Texas stunt. So Florida State likes to use what they call a fox, which is a stand-up defensive end. He's typically on the boundary side, which is going to be that short side of, uh, of the field there. They'll use their fox in a Texas stunt. They'll shoot him inside, and the defensive tackle loops around him, loops to the outside. Again, stunts and slants, stunts and slants, confuse that offensive line, put them in conflict, not let them understand who's got who. Um, and finally here is if, if you're watching this game um, and, and you're a listener of this show, sitting around with your buddies and you want to know what, what the coverage is, watch the cornerbacks. Watch the cornerbacks on this defense. If it's man, if they're running man, they're going to be pressed tight all the way across the board. If they're running cover four, and again, they're going to be in that cover four shell look a lot, but if they're running a true cover four zone coverage, the boundary cornerback, the one that's on the short side of the field, he's going to be pressed up tight. But the field cornerback, that's the wide side of the field, he's going to be playing off. So it's a good way, a good easy way to, to look at that defense and tell what kind of coverage is coming. And then that can kind of give you an idea of, of possibly where the ball is going to be going or what they're going to be doing there. But I think this really comes down to stunts and slants, creating havoc on the inside and getting after DJU. I, I agree with you. I can tell you as an old offensive line guy, uh, player and coach, stunts and slanting teams are tough to block. Uh, I talked about it that first week against Georgia State for South Carolina. When you have a team, uh, they run a, a three-man front. But when they have you have a team that likes to stunt and slant as an offensive line, you are just you got to communicate well. You know, it's 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 something that you got to really practice and hone in on. I'm sure Florida State's OL has spent a lot of time this week uh, in their independent uh, sessions or indie series as uh, working on that, working on calls, walking through it, playing it full speed, running it back and doing it half speed because you got to get those right. Speaking of Florida State's offense, Alex Atkins and Thomas, I'm going to stop right there and say, last week of all weeks for you to be gone, there were so, <laughs> there were so many coaches with so many difficult names that I, and players <laughs> that I was just like, I don't I don't know what to do. So uh, no disrespect to any of those guys. Uh, Alex <laughs> Alex Atkins, the offense coordinator at Ohio, excuse me, at Florida State, he has been the 
OL coach and still is the OL coach um, for the last two years, uh, which is a unique thing and that you don't see a whole lot of OL coaches then turn in to offensive coordinators. So that is uh, a unique path to go. I love it. Because you know I love the offensive line. Been in coaching since 2007 when he became a GA at his alma mater, UT Martin. Uh, has been coaching the F- F- uh, FSUOL for two years, like I said. He was previously, Thomas, at UNC Charlotte in 2019 during their really impressive offensive run that they ended up in their first bowl game for. So he is, he's got a lot of involvement there. Uh, it's just something to keep in mind. It is, as an offense, they are mostly in a shotgun with one back. They seem, Thomas, to really like, and maybe you can talk a little bit about this with the Clemson defense, they seem to really like a three-by-one formation where you got three wide receivers to the wide side of the field and either a, a wide receiver on the short side or a tight end. I think that's a way of making that defense get stretched horizontally because they want to sometimes put their best wide receiver, which is Johnny uh, – what's Johnny's last name? Wilson. Wilson. Johnny Wilson. Thank you. I was going to say Johnny Walker, but that's not it. Uh, <laughs> he he, uh, he uh, Him back there on that solo, so you have to respect him and cover him. And if you try to bracket coverage him, like Thomas has talked about that bracket coverage in the past, you're, you're, exposing, nice. you're exposing yourself on the backside. So you, or I guess – really to the wide side, so they can't do that. So it's, it's a way to use a formation. Marcus Satterfield, take notes. It's a way to use a formation to make a defense have to make a tough decision. So I, I really like that. They did use a little bit of pistol uh, two weeks ago against Wake. Didn't see so much about of that against NC State, but a really uh, weird situation there. They love a good bit of RPO play. That's run-pass option. Again, we've talked about this at nauseum. If you listen to anything about college football and really pro football at this point, it's 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 a big part of everybody's offense. Essentially, the quarterback's going to stick the running back, stick the ball in the running back's gut. If he reads, it could be a linebacker, could be a defensive end. If they sit, he gives the ball. If they come, he throws it to a slant or a short route of some kind that is going to be open because that person's vacated that part of the field. Uh, they like to move the pocket for for Jordan Travis to use his legs to put pressure on the defense because he is a talented runner. Thomas, this is really uh, you know very interesting to me. Thomas, Florida State's offensive line has given up the fewest sacks in the ACC this year. The fewest sacks in the ACC this year. You would expect that from an offensive coordinator who is the OL coach uh, as well. Now, I will tell you, uh, NC State used a good bit of – extra guys, blitzes, some delayed uh, blitzing and stunts to get pressure on Travis Jordan at times in that game last week. So I'd expect to see a lot of that from Clemson, especially because NC State was doing that because they had injuries in the secondary, and we know that Clemson's secondary is their weak point right now. So I could see a lot of pressure coming there. Currently, Florida State's offense is eighth in scoring in the ACC, third in total yards, second in rushing, fourth in passing. The points are about the same as last year, but all of the other areas are a huge improvement over what they were doing last year. Thomas, their biggest area of improvement, which is this is something that I am a just totally frustrated by Marcus Satterfield on many occasions by, is their third down conversion. Right now, they are completing 46.8% of their third down conversions, which is third in the conference. Last year, they were last in the conference in this. That's a major improvement. Major improvement. The one negative I will say about this offensive unit, they are currently 12th in the ACC in scoring in the red zone. Haven't been able to punch it in when they get down there. That's always a problem. Got to figure that out. 
junior quarterback. Jordan Travis is a returning starter at quarterback, having his best year as a quarterback by far. His QBR is 80.1, which is good enough for 17th in the nation right now. He did against some heavy pressure. He did uh, last week throw two picks on the road at NC State, something to keep in mind there. He does like to take a deep shot, Thomas. He is currently, I heard this on the broadcast as I was re-watching that game, may have been the weight game I was re-watching when I heard this. He has the highest per-pass average total right now in the nation, or he did as of two wow. weeks ago. So either he likes to take some deep shots or his wide receivers are great at getting yards after the catch. So I think it may be a combination of both. I saw them take vertical shots a lot. He can kill you with his legs. He had over 100 yards rushing against the Wolfpack last year. Thomas, here's a crazy stat for you that I was surprised by. He is the all-time record holder for rushing yards and rushing touchdowns for a quarterback at Florida State. Does that surprise you like it surprises me considering Charlie Ward played at Florida State? Yeah, that is a huge surprise to me. And I honestly hadn't even noticed that in the notes until you said that. Like, are we sure that's accurate? And that's according to the Florida State uh, media guide. So, I All mean, right. now they hit, you know, that offense that Charlie Ward was running was a very much a, a fast break offense. It was to get the ball out of his hand as quick as he could. That was what Anthony Wright was doing when Brad Scott first got to South Carolina. He saw Anthony Wright as his next Charlie Ward. Um, and, you know, that worked to varying degrees. But, you know, <laughs> that was, you know, that was surprising. So you think about Charlie Ward, a guy who played in the NBA. As a point guard, darn good athlete. So he he obviously wasn't doing a whole lot of running. Getting that ball out quick was more his game. I found that shocking. Uh, their leading rusher is Treshawn Ward. He's third in the league in rushing uh, for FSU. They like to use, Thomas, a counter look where he will, again, Marcus Satterfield, take notes. They will pull those two backside offensive linemen, give the ball, and ride the quarterback, will ride that running back in uh, Ward. And if somebody follows those pulling guards or fall, fall, linemen or follows that running back too closely, he's going to pop up and throw a slant to the backside. And that is great football. Honestly, Thomas, and I told you, I texted you this as we were doing the notes today. If we could somehow get Alex Atkins to be our next offensive coordinator, I would be thrilled. Um, I would be absolutely thrilled. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. Throw a bucket of money at him, uh, and let's see what we can do. <laughs> Their leading wide receiver is Johnny Wilson. He is fourth in the league in receiving yards. Basically, Thomas, what I'm trying to tell you is this isn't a bad offense. This isn't a bad offense that they're facing. Florida State, uh, under Mike Norvell and before him, had had some issues on the offensive side of the ball that were really holding them back. There has been a major improvement this year. It's not perfect. I mentioned the 12th in scoring in the red zone. I, I mentioned that. That's a problem, obviously. But at the end of the day, they're doing a lot of things well on offense. Thomas, what's Clemson's defense going to do to try and slow this unit down? This is this is going to be an interesting game um, because, you know, as – and, and Clemson's defensive line is really starting to, to hit their stride. It's weird to say that about a Clemson defensive line because they're always so dominant, but um, <clears throat> this definitely will be the best offensive line that, that Clemson's defense has faced all season. So I'm curious to see how they're going to attack that or, or rather how well they're going to be able to attack that. Um, Clemson on the defensive front, they, they definitely got a boost last week getting uh, Xavier Thomas back. He has been hampered with some injury, been been in and out. Um, well, what was really interesting was looking at, and I didn't see a single play of the BC game last week, but looking at the stat lines, Xavier Thomas only logged six snaps in the game, but in those six snaps, 
two sacks, two hurries, and a forced fumble. That Not too shabby. Insane. Not too shabby. I mean, I'll take it. I'll take it. But you mentioned it. Um, Jordan Travis can can really, really hurt you with his legs. Uh, last week in the NC State game, he had some really, really big chunk plays on scrambles. I think he had uh, one or two 40, 50-yard scrambles uh, against a good NC State defense. Um, so he can really hurt you with his legs there. So I think they've got to put a spy on him. I, I feel like I feel like I'm saying that every week because there's so many running quarterbacks, but but it, it really rings true this week that you can't you just can't not flush at South Carolina. Yeah, yes, exactly. Just, exactly. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Um, but you know, and, and you mentioned you mentioned uh Florida State's leading rusher, Treshawn Ward, and um I think it was uh, I guess it was last week that that he got a little dinged up, so so he may be out. So that's that's gonna bode well for Clemson's defense here. But secondary, Clemson's secondary has has looked better of late. Uh still probably definitely not the strongest part of that defense, but they have looked better of late. But Johnny Wilson can be a matchup nightmare. So I'm curious to see how they're going to do with him, how they're going to cover him. As you said, it's, it's really tough to, to bracket Johnny Wilson. And then you've also got uh, Ontario Wilson, I think is the other one. Uh, the, the two Wilsons, I don't know if they're related, if they're brothers or not, but they can both be matchup nightmares for you. There were some big chunk plays to both of those guys, included with along with the runs from Travis last week. Um, one of the things I, I I did read about, went back and looked was and and Clemson fans, if we have any listening, they may say, "Yeah, we've been doing this for a while," but I have not seen it. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that that defensive coordinator Will Goodwin did this. Um, was a bit of a rabbit package, and you know, in the in the years past of Clowney and Ingram and those guys at South Carolina, we had a rabbit's package. It, we usually employed it on like a third and long, and we would take one of those fast uh, fast edge rushers, move them inside, and just had a lot of speed and power on the defensive line. Clemson used some of that last week, and and what they did was they would when they would bring Xavier Thomas on the field and they would drop KJ Henry, the other defensive end, they would, they would move him inside kind of like we would do with Melvin Ingram back in the day. I uh, had a lot of success with that. So I'm really interested to, to see if they're going to use some more of that, but this is going to be a, a big test, a big test for this defensive line against this offensive line. And it's, it's really going to be about the secondary too. And if they can contain Jordan Travis, otherwise this, this could get wild in Tallahassee for sure. Yeah, absolutely. When I first wrote the notes, uh, I kind of had as a final outlook, I find I kind of had that um, I was surprised by this line. But after looking into doing some research with Florida State's offense and, and their defense being pretty good, I'm not totally surprised by a three and a half line. Um, I mean, Thomas, I think Clemson comes out in top here, but I, I think it's going to be interesting. I think it is too. I think this is one of those games where um, it, it could really come down to to the atmosphere and, and the crowd here. A night game in Tallahassee, particularly after the the loss last week to, to NC State when <coughs> Florida State got blanked in the second half. I think they went in 
They went into halftime up on NC State, seventeen to three. End up losing nineteen to seventeen. And 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 I've I've been I've been sneaking around on some Florida State message boards this week as I'm doing my research, and and they are still just just livid over that, and rightfully so. Um, but there's been some movement on this line too. I think it opened up at like four and a half. It's down to three and a half. I've seen Clemson fans saying, "What, what what's going on here? What do they know? We don't know." Um, but I think I think the crowd could really be the X factor here. If Clemson comes out, punches them in the mouth early, quiets that crowd down, it could be a long night for Florida State. But but if Florida State counters and they keep punching back and keep fighting, this could be a fourth quarter game. And if you're Florida State, that's what you want is that fourth quarter game, right? Right. That's all you can hope for there. I, I do think Clemson wins. I think anytime you got a spread that's three and a half, Thomas, it's, it's kind of hard to talk about who's going to cover it or not. I mean, you, you'll you see one-point wins, 24-23, something like that. But, I mean, I not that I'm betting on this game. I would tell you that if I was going to bet, I would not bet on this one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. And that's – and that's a really good segue too, because as we as we put that one to bed and, and looking at the slate for the weekend, some week six games, we got some that that I'm I'm excited about here. Um, looking at the at the noon slate, you know, you look at it on paper, you've got a you've got a a, a, a highly touted Big Ten matchup here of uh, number ten Penn State at number five Michigan. Michigan is favored by seven in that game. How do you feel about this game? I know you're a big Big Ten guy. I do like the Big Ten, uh, but uh, I feel like Penn State is a little bit of fool's gold. If you look at who they've beaten to be undefeated, it's, it's not real impressive. But then I went and looked at Michigan, and, and, and they hadn't really beat anybody either. Uh, so <laughs> the fact that it's at Michigan, uh, if I was going to throw action on this game, I, I would put Michigan to take to get this win and cover just based on recent history. I, I think Penn State, uh, James Franklin, I, I just don't, I don't trust him as a coach in big games. Uh, so I, I think I, I'd go with the Wolverines if I was going to put money down on this one. Yeah, I think so. And I'll take it a step further. I think any any undefeated big team, any undefeated Big Ten team is fool's gold every year, all the time, except for Ohio State. Except for Ohio State. They, they are the exception. Shots um, fired. Shots fired. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I think you're right. In, in the big house – noon game this probably this is probably going to be Michigan it, it, it could also be a, a, an outrageously boring game as well I have seen I have seen highly touted Big Ten noon games that turn into snooze fests for sure and what's so interesting about the Big Ten in general is they like to play their big games at noon they like to play like it's a big deal to play at noon in the big in the Big Ten, and like whereas everybody else is like, give me a night game. They're like, ooh, we got a nooner, give us a nooner. Uh, and you know I just why? Think you, that's weird. You know why? It's because they don't know how to tailgate like ooh. we do in the South. He's they don't. It's a fact. <laughs> this man's throwing some punches, folks. Speaking of speaking of tailgating, our three thirty game. I am licking my chops for this Fired one. Up. We got. Number three, Alabama at number six, Tennessee. Alabama, of course, is favored by seven and a half in that game. And this game is is really interesting to me after, you know, after Tennessee just just put a thumping mm-hmm. on on the Tigers in Death Valley, the, the real Death Valley. Um, 
this this game could be could be really interesting. I think Bryce Young is, is he playing this week? Is Saban is Saban playing a little charades with us here? I have not, you know, nothing's been confirmed. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. If you if you hurt your throwing shoulder, particularly if it's a ligament yeah. thing, and you're looking to go to the pros this year, I'm not, I mean, uh, you know, there's, you can always debate should you sit games out or should you not. But if you're legitimately slightly injured in your throwing shoulder as a quarterback, I'm not playing. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just not. I'm sorry. I'm, I got I got dreams of playing in the NFL, and I'm a Heisman Trophy candidate. And so now, uh, if he's if it's a strain, what they're saying it is, maybe he's had some time. But goodness gracious, I don't know. I I will say this: in my opinion, if he does not start, he will be suited up. And if things aren't going the way Nick Saban wants them to go, I expect to see number nine trotting out on the field. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But but here here's the kicker is is you know it, it's still Alabama and they still have a, a fantastic running game. And so if Bryce Young is out with you know Bama's leading the SEC in rushing right now, Alabama needs to lean on their run game and slow this game down. Tennessee yeah. plays lightning, lightning fast. They want to run 95, 100 plays a game. And so the longer you can you can keep your defense off the field, you can keep Tennessee's offense off the field, it's just grind it out. Grind it out, clock control. I think that will be the key to this game. Uh, honestly, even if, if, uh, if Bryce Young is in, Alabama needs to slow this game down as much as possible. No, I agree with you. I, I watched a good bit of the Tennessee LSU game. I was with some family down in Florida this weekend and uh, big Tennessee fans among the group. So I saw the entire game and, and got to talk, you know, back kind of, you know, get some insider info on the Tennessee, you know, system and, 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 you know, their, their program right now, you know, this thing's they're, they're running uh, on all systems right now and kicking on all cylinders. And I mean, they're on a roll now, Alabama's Alabama. There's no doubt about that. Will Anderson is still standing out there, number 31, playing outside linebacker, bringing heat on the quarterback uh, when they take the field in Neyland Stadium at 3.30 on CBS. I I will tell you this, and I think that Bama wins, but I don't think they cover. That's how close I think this game will be. Okay, okay, I'll take it. I I think uh, it's just really tough for me to call this game. I I think Bryce Young is such a key to it. Um, if, if Bryce Young, if Bryce Young plays and if he is truly healthy, I think Alabama rolls. I think if Bryce Young is out, I think I'd probably go with, with kind of what you're thinking. Um, but, but rounding it out here for, for our evening and we're going to one keep second. Hang on. Sorry. One second. Bama last year. I meant to say this just a second ago. Last year in this Bama, Tennessee game, Bama scored 28 points in the fourth quarter. To, to, to pull away, to pull away that this game was, about that. was not out of reach last year until the fourth where they just they just took them took it to them so I say that to say you know Bama did end up beating them by a pretty wide margin so again if you're if you're thinking about what's going to happen you know you look at the history they haven't beat them since 06 and all that stuff last year for three quarters Vols kept it pretty close Fair enough, fair enough, and that's that. That's that Bama machine that that we know all too well. Um, rounding it out here for our evening game, seven o'clock. This one uh, could be interesting. Could also be <clears throat> another snooze fest. LSU at Florida. Florida's favored by two and a half here. You know, this is really interesting to me. After LSU got thumped 
in Death Valley last week, as I mentioned earlier, by UT. Florida last week eked one out against Missouri by a touchdown. That game, they were tied with Missouri at the half um, in a game that was highlighted by another subpar performance from Anthony Richardson. I think he threw for like 66 yards, one TD, one pick. Now, there was a solid ground game there because I think obviously they were like, well, to hell with it. Let's just keep it on the ground here. But this game could could get ugly, and I think this could be uh, a, a big turning point for Florida here and how this game goes for, for the rest of the season, at least the outlook on the rest of their season. Yeah, I agree with you there. You know, Anthony Richardson is another player like Will Levis. You know, he was injured, whatnot. He still hasn't super impressed me this season. Anthony Richardson Mm -hmm. still hasn't super impressed me this season. These are two guys that were projected by Mel Kuyper and the like that they were going to be first round draft picks. I hadn't seen that. I hadn't seen that. And, you know, here's the thing I feel like Thomas, I feel like Thomas, that LSU is a mess. I feel like they're just an absolute mess. And, and you know, Brian Kelly, if you watched that LSU-Tennessee game, dude, he was mad all the time. He was like, "What?" I, he, you could hear him say, what are we, or read his lips saying, what are we doing? You know, like, it just seems like it's out of control in Baton Rouge. Um, they took one on the chin, uh, you know, against the Vols at home last week. I don't. No, we're going to find out if this team likes Brian Kelly or not, if they want to play for him or not, because, you know, there was, I'm telling you, it was a train wreck. And if they come out and play that way again, let's say Florida goes out and, you know, maybe they get an early score or they get a pick six and, and have a momentum swing like that. I could see LSU's players going, man, forget this nonsense. Um, but there again, I don't think Florida's great either. And I think Billy Napier likes to coach football games like he was a 12-year-old playing uh, NCAA football on PlayStation 2 <laughs> or something. So this could be a who screws up less game. Uh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not touching this one, uh, to be honest, as far as if I was gambling. I think Florida comes out on top because it's a home game. But again, it's going to come down to, in my opinion, who makes the least mistakes. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right too, and that's a great way of putting it. Who who makes the least least amount of mistakes? And and honestly, you know, gun to my head, it's probably. I, I think we're going to see quite a few mistakes out of out of Florida at, at the hands of Anthony Richardson because he's just he's just man, he's just a, a mistake waiting to happen. I agree with you. All right, so that's our show for this week. Remember, as I said at the top of the show, make sure to give a look at Better Edge and use the promo code AVERAGE to get $20 in your wallet uh, on that site. You can also follow us on the sli- on uh, social media at sli- or SAA Football Fan. That's SAA Football Fan on both Instagram and Twitter. And we have an email address. Uh, that's SAA Football Fan at gmail.com. Thomas, I forgot to tell you, we did have an, uh, an email this week. There was. Uh, uh, was it hate mail? It wasn't, thankfully. It was not. It was uh, a question about basically you mentioned them, and that's what uh, brought it back into my brain. How good or bad is Missouri? Are we convinced they're terrible? Because they gave Georgia a run for their money. They gave they gave uh, Florida a run for their money. You know, screwed the pooch against Auburn. How good or bad is that team in your mind? I know the Gamecocks will play them in a couple weeks, but that was a question we got from a fan. What is this Missouri team? Yeah, and I, I don't I don't think we know that yet. Um, 
Ah, and and I, I wasn't prepared for that. Next ne- next week, I need to know these questions. I got to research. Sorry, I, I sorry. Gotta, <laughs> I got to get it together. Um, I, I, I don't think we know. Uh, I don't know yet. And but I will say this. I will say that uh, early in the season, nay, maybe even preseason, I said, all right. Well, I, I put Missouri in the in the Vanderbilt column with the with the should wins uh, at this point. Uh, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I don't feel as confident about beating them as I once did. No, yeah, I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. All right, sorry to throw that one, that curveball at you at the last second there. I'll let you be prepared. I'm sweating now. I know, yeah. geez. It's like an SAT question. All right, guys, <laughs> have a great week. Thomas, as we head out the door, tell somebody, tell them what you want to tell them. All right, everybody, enjoy enjoy some good football this weekend. Get on Better's Edge and get that Better's Edge and uh, so we can pay the bills over here. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. See ya.